Well, good morning, and uh, we continue on in this series called Core, and uh, we're just looking at those core pieces that are essential to strengthening, strengthening who we are spiritually. We kind of played off of this physical fitness term core about strengthening that part of your body from your hips to your shoulders, and the experts say that if you work on your core and you strengthen your core, you will not only prevent injuries, but you'll be better in whatever that kind of sport that you do, that you love to do. It's the same thing for us spiritually. Two weeks ago, we looked at this word together, and if you were here then, we talked about you know, the church, about doing life together, about worshiping together and praying together and eating together and reading the Bible together, studying together. And when people spend life together, what God does in them and through them creates this catalytic movement that reaches the culture, that transforms the culture and makes this catalytic impact. Then last week, we looked at this word love. And out of the 613... Uh, laws, commandments found in the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, out of those 613, basically all of them come down to two underneath this umbrella. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love each other. So my question for you is, how did you do loving the unlovable last week? When that person cut you off, how do you do? When your boss made that decision, how do you respond? When your kids had that type of day, you know what I mean? They woke up in a bad mood and they carried on until bedtime. How do you do? Because God loves us, you and I, unconditionally. So we kind of move into this word grace today. But last week, I, I had crafted this entire top ten list and yes, David Letterman's people have contacted me for my writing skills. And, <laughs> and uh, I was going to share it last week because it tied into love. But, you know, there's something about this whole, you know, YouTube, uh, Mark Martell, 3.5 billion hits. I think it's up to billion now. Uh, that it kind of, you know, took more time. And so uh, several of you asked me about it because we sent out this weekly email. And if you don't get that, you can subscribe to that. And I'll tell you more about that at the very, very end. But... Uh, so I crafted this top 10 list based off this word love, and it was like the top 10 reasons why I love New Jersey more than Vegas. And several of you made this comment because you read in the email and said, how in the world in a month do you have 10 things that you actually love about New Jersey? I'm like, it's possible. So I, I had to share it with you, and so it kind of ties in, but kind of doesn't. So here you go, and uh, if, my, if my top 10 writing uh, uh, skills aren't that great, uh, give me grace. See? It all ties in. So here we go. Top 10 reasons why I love New Jersey more than Las Vegas. Number 10. Here we go. The entire world squirrel population has migrated to New Jersey. <laughs> Seriously. I've never seen more squirrels, ground squirrels, some hybrid of squirrels. They're everywhere. And my little 10-pound uh, dog, which is basically an oversized rat, um, goes nuts. She doesn't know what to do with herself. And so it's like, we're trying to train her to, you know, go, this, go pots in the backyard, right? We're trying to train her because in Vegas, we had this brick wall and we could just let her go out and we didn't have to worry about her running away. But now you don't have walls here in New Jersey. 
And so uh, we're trying to train her. And uh, now she realizes two things. One is if she goes outside, like she gets a little piece of hot dog because that's how I'm training her, right? So she likes hot dogs. So she gets a piece of hot dog and she can chase squirrels. So now it's like I, several dozen times a day, guess what I'm doing? I'm getting off the couch to take her outside because you never know. <sighs> Let's just stop there for a while. Okay, number nine, the daily anticipation that I might actually get to see the sun. It's a great thing. I wake up in the morning with a chance that maybe the sun might pop. You know, it got boring in Las Vegas. I got to see the sun 362 days a year. It was amazing. But, you know, that gets boring. You wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, the sun's out here. You never know. I woke up last night or this morning, I don't know what time it was, and I literally thought, like, the, the, uh, like the rains from the flood in those days were hitting my house. Like, I don't know. It was like billions of gallons of water dumping on my... Okay, number eight. Lines on the road really do not mean much. I, I don't know if you've ever traveled to a third world country. They just don't put lines down because they don't mean anything. They don't waste the paint. Here, they wasted the paint. But if it's a two-lane road and there's like the little dot line in the middle that's orange and the white lines on the outside, it, if you guys can fit five cars wide, you do that, Right? Like, I'm just like, this is kind of cool, right? In Vegas, we followed the lines. They meant something. Here, it's just like, if you can squeeze by, you squeeze by. Um, Number seven, uh, Route 10 and Route 22. (laughs) Enough said. I don't need to expand anymore. Whoever created those two roads, I would love to meet that person. Uh, They're probably locked away in an insane asylum somewhere. Number six. The Las Vegas Strip doesn't even compare to the culture, lights, and magic of New York City. Doesn't, doesn't even compare. Um, <laughs> where am I? Number five, I've come to realize that the statement, there's beauty in the desert, is simply not true. Uh, there's absolutely no beauty in the desert, and uh, I've been living that lie for way too long. Uh, Number four, uh, literally seasons, all of them. I I walked out this morning and uh, I thought I was going to literally have to go back in my house and put on a snowsuit because it was that cold. (laughs) I was talking to someone earlier uh, before this service and they they use these words. They're like, oh, it's a crisp New Jersey morning. I'm like, crisp? Is that how you frame it? (laughs) I call it frigid. And uh, and then someone said, and it's not even February yet. I'm like, ah. <laughs> Number three, jug handles. In Las Vegas, we call them left-hand turning lanes. It's an amazing invention. You create a lane with a light that you can turn left. Here, you go right to loop all the way around to get to the left. And I love it because it just creates, you know, it's kind of that, like, it's a, a, an amusement park on the road. You're never sure which way to go to go the way you want to go. So it's a guess. And if you miss that jug handle, you have to drive about 10, 10 miles down the road to find another one. It's a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of fun. Number two, the intense and challenging mental simulation that comes with the most important daily question of the day, which is where am I going to park? In Vegas, I would schedule meetings. 
throughout the day, and it was simple. I could park anywhere and leave my car there for as much time as I want. Here, I have to think about, well, I have this meeting at this Starbucks and this meeting at Rock and Joe's and this meeting here, but I can only park there for two hours and there for an hour and there for three hours, and I might get a ticket. So now I have to hop my car around to different places. Then I try to go from Rock and Joe's, literally a five-minute walk over to this other little place downtown Milburn, and uh, it should take me five minutes. I, it took me 20 to find a place to park. Then once I parked, to try to find the parking meter because they decided to hide that little box. Once I found the box, it, it wasn't, I don't know. I showed up 20 minutes late. I'm like, why didn't I walk there? Oh, I couldn't walk there because I had already parked at this one place for three hours. I had to move my car. I'm a little bitter. And here's the number one reason why I love New Jersey over Las Vegas. Full service gas stations. That's awesome. I'm still not used to it, all right? I still, I start to get out of my car. I'm that guy. And I start to get out of my car, and all of a sudden, they're standing there staring at me. I'm like, what? Oh, wait, I don't have to get out of my car. Amazing. So there you go. So uh, we are, uh, we, we are actually, actually uh, loving being here. And uh, so many of you have, again, just keep asking how we're doing, how's the adjustment, and, uh, and uh, how are our girls doing, and uh, my wife, and honestly, we're doing great, and uh, two amazing schools, both my girls love their teachers, and we're, we got them into, uh, our oldest into soccer, and then our youngest, we signed her up for Taekwondo, which is awesome, uh, except she comes up and just punches me now, <laughs> I'm like, wait, wait, isn't there some rule at Master Yu's, Yo's, I, I just butchered his name. But, uh, but we're, we're having a great time. We're, we really are and feel very fortunate to be here and be part of this, this community of people. And so today, we kind of go from this love word last week. And uh, what I shared was it's kind of this epic trilogy, uh, these three words, love, grace, and trust. And so today, we go to the second word, grace. And we're going to look at this word, grace. And uh, we're going to do it in such a way where... Uh, I, I hope you know that, that probably what I'm going to share with all of you today uh, might tweak your context of church and God a little bit, depending on where you've come from. And part of that is how you were raised and what kind of context in the church you were raised in. And uh, I'm not going to do it uh, justice. I, I'll, just, I'll just tell you that right now. There's going to be things I'm going to say that, that might just go, whoa, whoa, stop. You've got to spend a lot more time on that thought. But today, the, my goal is just kind of get the snapshot of this word grace, and we could probably spend 52 weeks on this one concept and still uncover more pieces of it. So I'm going to try to do it in about 20 minutes. Uh, so give me grace with talking about grace. Last week, the expert, he asked this question, the question that you and I have all asked in different ways and probably in the same exact way. And the question was this, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? And actually, when we talked about that section last week, I kind of paused and said, we're going to get to that next week. Because the question is kind of flawed. Because grace says, and here's the answer, and I could end right now and we could go early. We're not, but we could. You don't have to do anything. That's grace. You see, throughout the entire context of the Bible, there's this gap, the separation. 
right? God's on one side. God in all of his perfection and holiness. He's without sin. Jesus, God's son, fully man, walking on this earth, was without sin, perfection, complete holiness. He's on one side, and we're on the other side, flawed, sinful, broken people. And there's this massive gap. And how do we go from where we're at to a relationship with God? How, how do we bridge that gap? And the theme throughout the Bible is there's nothing you or I can do to bridge that gap. Nothing. Zero. You can't do anything. But what does bridge that gap is this word, grace. It's found throughout the Bible. It might look a little different. It might be given and received a little different. But it's found throughout the Bible. So many times people tie this grace word to Jesus dying on the cross. It's, it's a big piece, massive piece. But you see, grace is a core component of who God is. It's not a new thought in the New Testament. And so we're going to discover grace at the very, very beginning of the Bible in a story that probably all of us have heard uh, at some level before. It was a story that I grew up hearing about, and I'm not sure if you, uh, if you ever as a kid went to what's called a vacation Bible school. Anyone VBS fans out there? Oh, yeah, okay. Remember VBS, right? They'd teach you those, those cute little Bible stories, you know, uh, Jesus blessing the, the, the loaves and the fishes, and right, they multiply, and you had baskets of fish, and, which would smell, and, and bread everywhere, right? It was like this really neat story, or, you know, uh, Jesus walking in the water was another one. Daniel in the lion's den, right? Another one of those cute little VBS stories. And they'd give you like crafts and they would have felt boards. Remember felt boards, right? Great technology, right? And the teacher would teach you these cute stories. Well, one of those was Noah and the ark, right? It's a great childhood story. There was a guy named Noah and he was good. But there was a bunch of bad people. So God came to Noah and said, guess what? Build a boat. And so he did. And teachers give you the popsicle sticks with bottles, bottles of Elmer's glue, right? And you just squeeze it everywhere and glue would be everywhere. But you take it home and you're like, look, mom, look what I made. And your mom being your mom goes, oh, tell me about it. Because she had no clue what it was, right? <laughs> tell me about it. Oh, it's Noah's Ark. Oh, I could see it, Right. So you'd make that, and the teacher would talk about how the rains or the, the animals, two by twosie, came onto the boat, right? That was a little song, sorry, I'm reverting. And uh, the, the animals would come on the boat, and it was like really cute. But, you know, later in life, I'd often wonder, like, how do they keep the lions from eating the sheep? Like, how, how did that happen, right? Um, anyway, so, so they would have the felt board with the little animals, and it was a cute story, and the rains came down, they kind of glossed over the, the mass annihilation of all human life, right? They would just gloss over that, that thought, and, um, and they'd move on, and then a rainbow, ah, oh, right? It was that story. But there's so much more part of this story that I want to spend a few minutes uncovering. Genesis 3, sin, sin enters the world. Adam, Adam and Eve, they ate from the one place they shouldn't have eaten. 
sin enters the world. And from Genesis 3 to Genesis 6, uh, it doesn't get better, it gets worse. A whole lot worse. And by Genesis 6, we've already encountered um, a whole list of kind of sins or just uh, uh, evil that, that crept into the world. You know, sibling rivalry was there and jealousy and intense anger and even murder. And so in those three chapters, we quickly see that the world's getting worse. And then we come to Genesis uh, chapter 6, verse 5, and it kind of gives us the condition of the world. It says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. And down in verse 11, it says, Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. I mean, words like the extent of human wickedness. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil, that everyone was. The world was a bad, bad place. But you think about it. Think about the last 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years that you and I have been alive. Would we say this world is getting better or getting worse? Is it getting more holy or more wicked? You know, what, what, what's the status of our world today? There's a period of time where I literally stopped watching the, the news. Because I'd wake up in the morning, flip on the, the news, and it'd be like, oh, really? You flip over, open your phone, and you start just flipping through all the news stories. I'm like, I just want a happy story. Can there just be one? Last week, I'm flipping through, and some little five-year-old brings his mom's uh, crack pipe to school for show and tell. I'm like, really? Really? So in Genesis 6, we see this, this world that's just spiraling downhill fast. And we get introduced to this guy named Jonah. Jonah. <laughs> Noah. Wrong guy. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't even know where Jonah came from. I was like, ah, oh, Jonah. Okay. So some of you are like, oh, I thought you were talking about Noah. Jonah's cool too. That's another morbid story, if you think about it. Like, see, that's another one of those VBS stories, right? You're like, oh, he swallowed. No, he ate the guy, you know? He didn't swallow him. That, okay. <laughs> Noah. I'm just making up people now. Verse 8 says, But Noah found favor with the Lord. You know, there's these moments in the Bible that so quickly, right? You want to get to the cool part of the story, the building of the boat, you know, the animals, a flood. You want to get there. And so we just quickly read through these moments. But this one verse, Noah found favor. The word favor is literally translated grace. First time in the entire Bible, the word grace is used. Let that sink in for a moment. Noah found. And I thought about this a lot this week. 
how did he find it? Like, I wish, like, verse 8 could literally be like 30 verses. What was that like? What we do know is in the Old Testament, how God interacted with people is totally different than today. What we do know in the New Testament, when Jesus walked on this earth, how Jesus interacted with people was totally different than today, right? We do know that. That's throughout the Bible. How God interacted in the Old Testament, radically different than today. And I've often thought about what Noah found favor. He found grace. Grace was extended to Noah. He received it. How did that all happen? How was that relationship between Noah and God? We don't have many of those answers, but what we do know is this. Noah found it, received it, accepted it. It was given to him. So we go from verse 8, and it goes in verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. Now, there's some really big words here like, that kind of intimidate me. Like righteous and blameless, right? You quickly read those words and you're like, well, I can't, I can't rise to that standard. Like, yeah, Noah, Noah was like this, this super, super Christian guy. He had it all together and there's no way that I could be called righteous. I could be called blameless. Like those are... Too high of standards for me, Chris. Like, come on. How can I? What's the order of it? Was he righteous and blameless, then found grace? Or did he find grace and then became righteous and blameless? That's important. Because I promise you, there are people sitting here who have been raised or come through a church context that says, you must be this level of good, whatever that level is. You must do these things, then God will love you. Then God will give you grace. If you do these things, then you get it. And that's not the story of the Bible. That's not God's plan. In Genesis chapter 6, guess what? He said, no, 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 you find grace. You receive grace. You get grace then you're right in my eyes. And then you're blameless in my eyes. Because we go to chapter 9, and we find Noah drunk and naked in his tent. Oops! So don't, don't think that he had it all together, and he was one of those superhero Christian type of guys in the Bible, and you're like, I just can't be that. He had just seen God destroy the world and save him and his family. Oops. And then he walked with God. See that order? Grace extended. And because of God's grace, he was righteous and blameless and he walked with God. You see, that's the order. Grace always, always comes first. You know, something else is interesting in the story, and I've actually had this conversation with several people in the past. They're like, how in the world could God, a loving God, right? Uncond- unconditional love, 
Like, that's who God is. How could this loving God destroy the earth? How could this loving God make that type of decision? How could God do that? Part of that answer is next week. Because you think about this story. This is the part that they never taught me in VBS, which is probably a good decision on their part. But (laughs) could you imagine what started happening? Because it took Noah, I mean, a long time to build this boat. And it was huge. He couldn't conceal it. He didn't hide it. Could you imagine what started happening when they all went in the ark, the door shut, and the rain started coming down and didn't stop and didn't stop? Could you imagine the screams of the people outside the ark? Think about that. Think about that scene. People clawing at the wood, trying to get up and in. The fingernail marks on the side of the boat. The mothers begging Noah to take their kids. So how in the world could God do that? In Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, it says that basically it took him 120 years. There's this 120 years time span that God gave Noah, gave the world. So keep that number in your head because it's an important number. But you have to go all the way from Genesis 6 all the way back to uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5. And this is what it says, 2 Peter almost towards the very end of the Bible. And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned, warned the world of God's righteous judgment. He warned the world. Some translations actually says that he was a preacher of righteousness. For 120 years, Noah built this boat. He worked, he slaved. But then you read 2 Peter 3. And again, right, this doesn't like like line item, like lay this whole thought out. But I think we could quickly connect these thoughts. He's a preacher of righteousness. What else do you think he was doing while he was building that boat? What I think, for 120 years, he was literally a preacher of righteousness. He was saying, God's grace is for you. Just receive it. God wants you to be saved. You just have to receive it. God loves you, but his wrath is coming. What are you going to do about it? I think for 120 years, Noah preached this message over and over and over again. 
I think he preaches so much that his voice was calloused like his hands from building the boat. I think he pleaded with people. He begged them. I think he would stop building the boat to sit down with someone and say, I I know you think I'm a lunatic for building this thing, but listen to me. God loves you. And the grace that I have found in a relationship with God, you can have too. That I believe with all my heart, God waited and waited and waited. In 1 Peter, it literally says that God waited patiently while Noah built the ark. That's a loving God. That's a God who says, this world is wicked, but I'm going to wait until everyone has heard. Jesus and Matthew actually equated the, the flood and Noah to his second coming. And I think God is waiting patiently because he wants all people to hear about his love, about his grace. And there's nothing you and I have to do for it. It's been done for us on the cross. And then Genesis chapter 7, it says that God shut the door of the ark. And I wonder, again, this is, this is in, in, in my head, I just wonder how long God waited before he shut that door. Have you ever thought about that? He had already waited patiently. Noah had already preached constantly. And I just wonder if God just, for a moment, and for God that could be like another 10 years, I don't know, like, did you just go, no, really? Please. There's nothing you have to do. Get on the boat. It's all been done. Get on the boat. I'll take you just as you are. Get on the boat. Get on the boat. I love the video because I think it really paints this incredible picture of grace. We're like the little boy. Broken and flawed. I love the little picture. I don't know if you, if you caught it. They, they showed his, his finger with a Spongebob band-aid. And we on our own going against this mighty God doesn't even compare, does it? Like, think about how ridiculous that, that look is. There's no way that boy could have done anything against this massive six-foot-something football player. And grace bridges the gap. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Throughout the Bible, there's these verses, and it weaves this message of grace all the way back to Genesis 6. In Romans 3, it says, All have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. You and I, there's, no, we, we've all sinned. We've missed the mark. 
We're all broken. We're all flawed. It goes on in, in Romans 6. It says, for the wages of sin is death. But God's free gift, eternity, is in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's why Jesus came to die on the cross. To be the ultimate sacrifice for you and I. Probably my favorite verse in the Bible, and I'll say that a lot, so I probably have like thousands of favorite verses, so... Ephesians 2 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Grace is a gift. All you have to do is receive it. And there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing that you can do to get it. There's nothing that you can do. It's been given. It's been done. It's been crucified. And Jesus was risen. Why? To go to prepare a place for you and I. For all who believe. Grace covers the gap. Covers the gap. covers the gap. I know for some of you, you've been trying to earn your way to heaven. Right? I hope today you walk out of here knowing you don't have to do that anymore. You, you don't have to do that. You don't have to carry that burden You don't have to carry that weight. Christ paid for that. I know for some of you, you've been just saying, well, no, really, what? I come to church, what must I do? Receive God's grace. Get on the boat. It's all been done for you. For some of you, you get this thought. You've received God's grace and it is good. You see, I said the first week, church really isn't for us. I mean, it is. There's components of it that it, it is. But it's oh so much more. And we have the message of grace. Noah preached it for 120 years. How tired do you think he got? I wonder how many times he stopped and looked at God and said, God, really? No, I've been doing this for 67 years. How many people did he get on that boat? There's only eight of them. They're all his family. Like on the success scale? It's our job to plant seeds. It's God's job to try to get them grow. In two weeks, 
actually three weeks technically. Uh, next week is trust. Then we we do this other this other uh, the last week of of core called grow, and then on October twenty third we start a brand new series, and I, I'm so excited about it. And if you've been around Renaissance for a while, uh, this isn't a new new series. It's just a new take on it. But we're going to launch this Finding Faith in Rock and Roll series. But it's the Beatles edition, right? The greatest band ever. And uh, I'd never really listened to, to the Beatles until about four weeks ago. And I've listened to more of the Beatles <laughs> than you can imagine. Like, I'm inundated on Beatles. Like, I've read more. I ordered, I ordered literally their complete set. And I thought the Beatles had, like, two CDs. I got a box. I'm like, I can listen to all this music, right, in the next year. It's amazing. And uh, I've learned more about them. But uh, the whole purpose of this, this series, I'm just telling you, it's a tool for you to invite a friend. Wherever you're at spiritually, you're here. So you're, if you're at the very, very beginning, awesome, invite a friend. If, you, if you've been walking with God for 60 years, awesome, invite a friend, right? Wherever you're at, it's a tool for you to invite a friend. And we're going to be uh, spending five weeks looking through uh, kind of five to seven. There's a couple of weeks we have multiple songs of just the Beatles' greatest hits. And what were they trying to communicate through their lyrics? And I tell you, through that, we're going to uncover some really cool um, pieces for our lives spiritually as we connect that with God's Word. And so, again, it's a tool. And uh, there's several things that we want to uh, challenge you with. Uh, the first thing is this. is uh, I don't know if you got these walking in. If not, and we have a bunch at the door. But uh, these are invite cards, and they literally look like the original tickets when the Beatles played at Shea Stadium back in 1960. What, Dave? 64. Look at that, 64. Um, I knew it was 60 something. And and so you don't need a ticket. Don't don't get wrong with this. You don't have to have a ticket to come to church, okay? Don't, Don't like, you have to have this to come. No, no. It's just a cool invite, right? to give to someone and say, hey, why don't you come check this out with me? As all the information on it, on the back, there's this little QR code. If you're technically savvy, you can scan it with your phone. It takes it right to this landing page. And, uh, but again, we just wanted to create a really cool tool that doesn't look like some churchy thing to invite someone here to be a part of this, right? To check it out. So uh, at, the, at the end of service today, you can go out, all the band has Tons of these. Take a stack of them. But you, you can't take them and not give them away. Deal? Okay, all of you like sitting here promised to me, and now you can't break your promise, right? Like, if you take them, you, you have to give them, right? Like, if you lay one on, on, on you know, your boss's desk, which is cool, like, let them know about it. Don't let it get shoved underneath paperwork. If you want to leave one for your server at a restaurant, which is cool, Make sure you really tip that person well, right? You get what I'm saying? But use them. The one person you've been praying for should go in their hands. The second tool, so you can get a stack of those from all the band members after service today. The second thing we're going to have for you as another tool is there's actually this kind of web landing page, part of our renaissancechurch.org site. And uh, uh, two things. One is, you literally, oh, it's amazing. See that big red thing forward to a friend? You click that. We've made it real easy. You click that, and you can literally send this e, uh, evite to your friends. Don't spam your friends, right? Like, don't be that person, but 
Think about who you need to invite. Be purposeful, and you can click that, and that will go, uh, go to them. And what's awesome about it, there's several things. One, it gives them all the information about this series, kind of an overview. There's a quick video, like literally 40 seconds from me, just sharing about this series called Finding Faith in Rock and Roll. And uh, it'll take you five seconds to invite someone. Also, we send out a weekly email, and maybe you receive that, maybe you don't. If you haven't received one from me the past two or three weeks, you can uh, go on our website, subscribe to that email, or today, right after service, we made this real easy. Go to our guest center and subscribe to it. And uh, we can help get you subscribed to it so you don't even have to think about it. So today, right after service, like in 30 seconds, go, we'll do it for you, and get you on our email list. And that's another way. That email will go out tomorrow, and you can forward that email on to people. The whole point is this. Invite a friend. You be the agent that God wants to use Because God wants to use you to connect your friends to a life-saving relationship with God. Just like God used Noah for 120 years to try to connect people to him. And so know that this entire series and everything we're doing is to help you, to give you tools, to make it simple for you. Because we understand you're all busy. But the message is, of Christ is that important. So today as you walk out, I hope that you realize the gift is being extended to you and there's nothing you have to do to receive it. And two, as you walk out of here today, I pray that you start and keep praying for that one person or that list of people that God wants to use you to connect them to him. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for uh, your message and your word. I thank you for uh, these people. I just pray. I pray for this rock and roll series. And uh, it's going to be so much fun. But Lord, I just pray that through that, it can be an incredible tool to connect people with you. Because that's why we're here. And that's what this is all about. And uh, so Lord, I just pray for that. I pray for all the people that are being prayed for right now that, that have no clue about renaissance or church or their context of church is so skewed. And uh, Lord, I just pray for them. I pray that your Holy Spirit is moving ahead of us to work in their hearts and in their minds and in their souls. That Lord, you will be ahead of us in this. And we just pray with anticipation that you're going to do an incredible thing um, through us, through this place called renaissance. And Lord, as you uh, connect to people in a real and relevant way. You know, I pray. Amen. God bless. Have an amazing week.